0: You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to this edition of More to the Story, week five. As we keep wow. moving along, I know it. I'm Mike Haynes and joined again every week by Pastor Darren. Hi, Pastor.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: Pastor Drew, how are Mike, you?
1: Darren, good to be with you guys.
0: Well, uh, long sermon uh, this past Sunday. A lot, lot to, to talk about. Yeah. Did. So. Well, we last left you uh, last week in the podcast, uh, just finishing up uh, Genesis chapter 1, just a few verses there for, um, for you in the sermon the previous week, as you talked about day 7. We go back to day 6 is we get an indication that that's when mankind uh, and humanity was created. And now as we start uh, for your sermon in chapter 2 of Genesis, a little more in depth about Adam. How how he was created, and then the Garden of Eden. So let, let's start. Let's just kind of give a brief look back at, for for Adam and Darren. When can we put the timeline on this day six for Adam? Is he the only
2: person that gets created? Is is he just there in the Eden all by himself? Yeah. When we talked about the image of God, we said that this. Uh, male and female he created them. He created all mankind in the image mm-hmm. of God, and and it's representative of all mankind in Genesis chapter one, uh, verse twenty six through twenty eight, right. and and so that is everybody. What happens here in verse four is we we get a shift uh, in a couple of things. One, Drew mentioned in the sermon, we we start to get more of a narrative rather than um, the unique poetry that that's in chapter one. Um, and chapter one isn't necessarily a specific Greek or not Greek Hebrew poem in the way that a traditional psalm is, but it is constructed with such precision and, and amazing craftiness that to call it a poem isn't, isn't that far off. But in, in verse four of chapter two, we get a word. Uh, this is the account. And the Hebrew word there is, is a toledot, And in Genesis, there are several toledotes. There are several generations or accounts of things. And often it, it happens with the genealogies. This is the this is the, the genealogy of Adam. This is the genealogy of Seth, and, and so on and so forth. And so there, there's a there's a break. There's a, the word that we get there. Also, we get God's personal name, Yahweh. So whenever you see the word Lord in our in our scriptures, that's all caps. It's got like a big L and like small capital letters. That's the personal name of the God that we worship, and His name is Yahweh. We no, we normally say God, capital G God. Um, but we could also say Yahweh, and for us, it, it in general means the same thing. So there's two things here that make a transition, that clue us into something about this account that's different than than Genesis one. What's amazing is, and, and you
0: you touched upon how God just put breath into into this dust. When you think about it, though, when you really get deep into it, to think about God creating. Man and what we know now through science, how the brain works, how you're all the tendons, the bone, how everything comes together in your body—it's it's almost glossed over a little bit in the Bible of how well God just created this man. But when you think about how complex our bodies are, it's mind blowing to me.
1: I think it shows the creative power yeah. of God, right—the omnipotence that God has, and we hit Psalm 139 a little bit. Hmm yesterday go back and read the first 18 verses of psalm 139 this idea that god he he searches us he knows us he's intimately involved in us and in the creation of us in our in our mother's wombs and so you you get this picture i think and what god's trying to communicate to us in genesis 2 is that he is the one that gives life and he doesn't you you know we look at it again from a 2022 standpoint and we see well, how did all these things come together and neurons firing and all these things to create life. And and, and I think um, it would have been amazing to be a fly on the wall and see how God does this. But I think what he's communicating to us is that, you know, God forms us from the dust, right? We are made of stardust, right? As the old Crosby Stills National (laughs) Song says, he forms us from dust, but then it's his breath. It's his word that gives life, which which I love that because it shows us, you know, put that to John chapter one and Jesus is the word. And then go to Colossians, the book of Colossians, where Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. And, and through creation comes everything, mm-hmm. from him. And it's this picture of God's breath and God's word that brings life. And it's, a, it's an amazing picture to, to show it's, us that God's yeah. breath has creative power in itself to give life.
0: Well, I loved what you talked about on, on Sunday as well. It's not just that we're robots, but he gave us laughter and sadness and and a lot and i love your explanation of how it's not just simply to have this emotion it does things with the dopamine and serotonin in our brains actually i mean it's just really it's fascinating darren do you think that we're creating the image of god do you think god laughs sometimes and and sad and has these same emotions that we do
2: definitely um uh, there are plenty of times in the Bible where God is described as having emotion. Um, um, God gets angry. He's immensely patient, mm-hmm. but over hundreds of years, when His people don't <laughs> stay faithful to Him, it 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 talks about Him getting angry a little bit. Um, and, and also, God is also um, He He gets sad. Um, again, this is a Genesis six thing, in my sermon coming up here and later in in the month. Um, god regrets making humanity he is sad he mm-hmm. he's and it, it's r- because humans turn into such awful things um and so yeah god definitely has emotions um the same way that, that, that the humans do at least that's the way it's depicted in mm-hmm. in, our, in our i opinions. think
0: do you, do you ever picture like let's say somebody you're sitting around and somebody says something funny do you do you ever think that god is laughing like he like he, he just sort of struck his funny bone I think God's the original comedian.
1: <laughs> you know, you see a picture of this with Jesus and his disciples. Yeah. I think Jesus was hilarious. You know, you can you can pick up the humor. You know, Jesus is always joking yes. about stuff. Yeah. and very lose, Jewish humor back very then. Jewish right, humor. I mean, the original Jerry Seinfeld. Right, uh, <laughs> right. The right. I think you know if you I, one of my favorites is is um, you know Matthew seven right and mm-hmm. Jesus talking about judging and he's giving that picture of don't judge you'll be judged right. Which we completely take out of context. And then he says, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye and miss the yes. log. Right. And so, you know, the word he uses right. is like there's a like a a, a cedar tree mm-hmm. hanging out of your face. But yet right. you focus on your little dust in your brother's right. eye. It was and very Jewish know, humor back very then. Very right. Jewish humor. And you know right. Peter and John were rolling mm-hmm. when they heard that because they right. got it. And we read through it and we miss it. Right. I think, and if you've watched The Chosen, Jesus is always joking. Like, I love how they... Per- they, you know, they show Jesus just yucking it up with his buddies, with yeah. his disciples. I think because laughter is such an important, it's a natural antidepressant, mm-hmm. and you know, you go back to creation before sin into the world. Laughter, I think God. I Man, I'm imagining God and Adam were were having a great time laughing about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Clean humor, right? right Clean right, humor. Right. But laughing about all kinds Not of stuff. Not just two guy. You don't think it's just two yeah, guys' it, humor? Yeah, but you know, it is interesting. Like if you are having a tough day and you go home and you put on, uh, you know, your favorite comedian, mm-hmm. like it's going to raise your spirits. Mm-hmm. Or you go watch blooper videos, right of, right, of baseball catches or mountain bike crashes or whatever. And and of course, nobody gets hurt in the filming of these things. <laughs> It's got to raise your spirits. I think God, it's part of God's design for us. Mm. Like we talked about serotonin and cortisol, right? Like in God's perfect creation, the the ability to balance those chemicals that he gave us are perfected. And we've Mm. lost that because of sin and the fall of man. But I think there's some truths in there that we can utilize to help us find, you know, a nice balance still. Mm. Uh, But I think we see that from page two of the Bible.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into... Eden. I think we're going to spend a lot of this podcast talking about Eden, where it was, what was it really like, about the tree. Before we do that, Darren, Adam is there in Eden, and we'll start talking a little bit more about what Eden is. What kind of emotions do you think he's going through? He's all by himself in a sense, but is he talking with God? Is he having discussions? Is is he hanging out? What's... Or is he? Because they talk about how he felt lonely. We'll we'll get into next week, Eve being created. But what do you think's going on with Adam at this time?
2: Uh, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist um, (laughs) or counselor or anything like that. And and it's as I look at the scripture that that as you mentioned, it really gets into it next week Mm. Um, because that's when the animals come and like, hey, let's find someone to help you, Adam. Well, the animals come and no 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 helpers found, and so he creates Eve. Uh, to to be his helper. So uh, right here, I I, I do like the intimacy that Drew talked about. Um, You know, God is intimately involved with the creation of of Adam here. Uh, Now, an interesting thing about about Adam the man, Adam the person, is that there's a question in scholarship of when does this person or when does this man become a, a personal being? Because the word For Adam, as we've talked about is Adam. That's what it is in the Hebrew, but it's the same word that's used. um, Let us create mankind in our image. Let us create Adam, ha Adam. Um, And here it says the Lord God formed ha Adam from the dust. So it's the same word. So when does it shift from becoming a representative of all humanity as it does for sure in Genesis one, and then when does it become a, a singular person? As I talked about, because there's something different about the the, the narrative here, the, the, the Hebrew, in chapter two, verse four, where it starts, uh, a lot of people do think, and, and I think rightly so, that here in chapter two, it becomes a person. Some people think it happens later on, like somewhere in verse 20, I think, um, where like, for Adam, no suitable help was found. It's like, okay, there is the person of Adam but um I I'm not sure it, it changes our meaning a whole lot necessarily um but I, I as far as emotions I, I don't know I think yeah Adam was was he was new he was probably experiencing things for right. the first time it's like this is cool <laughs> and there's, and there's no sin either so I mean right. how, how could he be having negative feelings I don't know
1: yeah, I, I know. It's interesting to think about. It's yeah. like if you ever go to the movies by yourself, mm-hmm. you know. You don't it, know how to feel until you, you talk to someone You really someone aren't else. sure. Like when I yeah. saw Star Wars,
2: I was angry. I was like, oh, I need to talk to somebody about this. Yeah. It was like <laughs> episode eight. I, I was not a fan. But anyway, yeah, you don't know, <laughs> you know what you feel. But about. he
1: had God there. Yeah. So, you know, imagine being a kid and you hang out with your best friend, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know that God. Or he also has no mom or dad. Right. Earthly mom or earthly dad. Earthly mom or dad. I don't know that Adam recognizes that he's by himself. Hmm. Because I think he's made it. Uh, he's with God in in paradise, right? In in this garden that God has placed him, and I don't think he has a previous experience to go off of. You know, he didn't. Yeah. It's not like he was hanging out with his buddies and all of some. He's he's stuck at home, quarantined. You know, <laughs> I think he he's with God and he's feeling he, he's feeling great because he's in the presence of, of his dad, right? He's in the presence right. of his his Creator in that moment. Um, I think when we'll get to this next week, when God starts to bring the animals in and we st- he, he's revealing to Adam something. I don't want to tease it out. He's revealing to Adam his need for a companion. And so at that point, I think Adam begins to feel loneliness because he goes, hey, you know, cows, tigers, horses, they all have a companion, but I don't. And God's revealing a deeper truth to him in that moment. But I think for before that, right now we see Adam. Adam's hanging out throwing the football with God, right? And they're having <laughs> right. a great
0: time, right? Playing catch. It's a field of dreams moment. Is, <laughs> they're yeah. they're in Eden. <laughs> Let's talk about Eden. This is so fascinating. Throw the big question out. Where was it? It, it was here on Earth, right? Right. Okay. We know we're, we're positive about that. It was created on Earth. Where? Where do? Where do the experts? And I, when I say that, I mean you too. <laughs> think, think that Eden was.
1: Well, there's some, some serious experts out there. And depending upon what commentary you read, you're going to get a different picture. And depending upon what website you look at, you're going to get a different map, right? Because we really don't know. Nobody's found it. Like people have spent their lives looking, just like people have spent their lives looking for Noah's Ark. They spent their lives looking for Eden. But what we do know is that there's four rivers.
2: Yeah, and it talks about that in, in the scripture, starting in verse 10. There's a river watering the garden flowed from Eden so remember Eden is a place and then there's a garden in Eden and so there's a river that's flowing out of this uh garden that waters the rest of the world really and so verse 10 a river watering the garden flowed from Eden from there it was separated into four headwaters so it's going to talk about the names of these waters so in this narrative there's one river and it separates out into four there are four rivers. There's the Pishon, the Gihon, and the Tigris and the Euphrates. Three of those are identifiable. Two of them for sure, Tigris and Euphrates. We know where those are. That's in modern day Iraq. And a lot of times um, when someone has to claim the, the birthplace or the cradle of humanity, that's where the ancient Sumerians Uh, really started to show up, what, 3,000 B.C. or 5,000? Yeah, 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 Mesopotamia,
1: ancient Mesopotamia. They've found artifacts from what they think is the first civilization. Interestingly, as Darren said, near the Tigris and Euphrates rivers.
2: Yeah, which is modern-day Iraq um, in, in the Middle East there. And then the other one, the Gihon is the name of a spring in Jerusalem. And in this narrative, that flows south to water the entire land of Cush, uh, which Cush is, is identified elsewhere in the Bible as Egypt. So think, you know, the, the Nile potentially, but the Nile doesn't start in Jerusalem. You know, there's no river that flows from Jerusalem to Egypt, that, that doesn't happen. So already we're kind of in trouble. And the fourth one, the Pishon, there's a lot of debate. No one really knows, but it's a land with, uh, it, it's a land rich with precious metals and jewels. And so the, the key thing to note that this is the region where it, like all of this stuff gets its water from God. And so this water, all four of these waters are flowing from the same place, even though not literally geographically, but theologically, the place where God created humanity is where this river flows that waters the rest of the world that provides life because God, once again, he's all about life.
1: It is funny when you go and look at maps that archaeologists and geolo- or, you know, geography um, guys and gals draw up about the where, where the Garden of Eden could be, you do get this really interesting picture. So Mount Ararat is where many people suspect that the, that Noah's Ark landed and that's what the Hebrew says exactly. And so there's been so many searches in Mount Ararat for the uh, for the, you know, the ark, right?
2: Which is in Tur- It's in Turkey. Isn't in it? Turkey. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and what, what's interesting is the Euphrates really flows off of that mountain. Right. And so then you have the, the Tigris as well. And then you have this kind of mysterious river that you're, you're kind of curious about. And then this river that potentially could be Egypt. And a lot of people say, Hey, what, what God could be doing here is he's giving us um, this idea of the borders of the promised land uh, of where he's going to send his people to right and he's going to kind of frame out this this picture uh of where that will one day be the land and and, you know some people will go to say you know the bible is either about people or land you know if you bring these themes together right it's god people and land and so very early on you got got talking about land but we've never been able to pinpoint it and and put our our fingers on it but it, it is really a fun idea to think about like if you look at a map of Iraq, modern-day Iraq, Mediterranean Sea, Egypt, um, Turkey, you do have that area where you have story after story of God's people, mm-hmm. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God's people coming through and wandering in the wilderness, and, and then the nation of Israel camping out, right? And so I think there is something there. It's just hard to, to you know, put it in a box. I think, the, I think the idea that Darren said, more of this idea of that, that God is the one who creates and gives life, mm-hmm. and he's given us this picture of how he gives life, we can get into the weeds a little bit trying to find it where it is on a map. Oh, yeah. If God wanted us to know, we would have found it already.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly a warm area. There's, we don't have four seasons. Right. There's, they're not wearing clothes. So <laughs> maybe probably a good idea. It's not snowing. <laughs> but it's interesting, though, of where it is, where we think it is, is now one of the most unchristian areas in the world.
1: And it's, Why? Well, if you think about it, you know, if the enemy wants to attack hmm. God's plans, where is he going to go? He's going go to go at the origin, right? Hmm. And you see this battle that has taken place. I mean, just look at, you know, the battle, even modern day between Palestine and Israel, hmm. right? Um, in Jerusalem, where the temple was, what's there now? There's a mosque. Right. And so this, this land has been fought over since right. Ishmael and Isaac, right? I mean, way, 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 talking about thousands of years ago. And so this is a battleground for the world. Hmm. But it is interesting to think about it. Why would God—we joked earlier, why wouldn't God pick San Diego? That's right. right. Like, why did God to God me, pick that's the perfect place right, to live. Right here. You know, why didn't he pick the Swiss Alps or something? Right. But, and, and this is total speculation, but could it be that God put man in an environment where he wouldn't need to deal with the cold? he wouldn't need he could go and live in an area where it was warm enough to live outside right to mm-hmm. camp all the time mm-hmm. where trees and and, and bushes and, and fruit grew and vegetables grew abundantly because mm-hmm. of that of that kind of uh, equator like terrain mm-hmm. and temperate zone I think God had a plan. He knew that one day we would build, you know, wonderful log cabins in the mountains and be able to uh, wear Patagonia jackets. And, but at this time, Adam didn't need all that because he was in the perfect place. Right. And
2: historically speaking, it makes sense that that humanity would first really develop cultures in those locations, um, and it was really the the invention of irrigation um, that that allowed them to be agricultural, that allowed communities to produced so much grain that they had to store it, which means you had to come up with administration systems and all kinds of stuff to, to be able to store your grain and then distribute it again if you had a bad harvest. And so the, the cradle of humanity starting in Mesopotamia makes sense because the land was very fertile between the Tigris and Euphrates. Um, and, and that's really where, where things started. Now we know that humankind is immensely adaptable. Mm-hmm. You know, we, the, the Inuits have lived in, in Alaska and in extreme north for who knows how long, I don't know, a long time. And they're very adaptable, you know, so it, it's not necessarily that God had to plant them in this place. He would have taken care of us, you know, had we been in, in the North Pole as well. Hmm. But the, the idea is that just historically speaking, it makes a lot of sense that you have agricultural irrigation communities first popping up around this place in and Mesopotamia. It's a
1: great point. If you think about it, I'm an ancient Near East reader, I'm a, um, I'm a Hebrew person that has been rescued out of Egypt, and now God's telling me where I've come from. Hmm. And he's giving us now these rivers that we're going to recognize, right? Chances are I recognize one of those rivers as being a river to Egypt. I recognize the Tigris and the Euphrates. And I'm seeing that there's—he's he's telling me that I'm going to get ready to go to this promised land. And now he's kind of framing out these this area of the world that I've heard of before, right. which is in the region that I'm living in now. So. While you and I want God to be specific and say, ooh, it's this degree latitude and this degree longitude, I think God is saying, hey, this promised land I'm getting ready to take you to, this is, there's this place called Eden that God created and created mankind in there. And, and we, deep in our hearts, have always been trying to get back to the garden. And so now I'm going to take you to this beautiful promised land. And it's going to be in this region that God created to originally put mankind in. So I think there's there, there's some there's some picturesque things going on here that, that the ancient Near East readers would have picked up in context that you and I just want more specifics on that God doesn't give us.
0: Is there any indication that heaven will sort of be like the Garden of Eden? Or is that... Because you know, then you hear about roads paved with gold and
2: you hear, you know... There's, uh, there's gold here. That, that's where the, the Pishon comes from. In verse 11, it says, the name of the first is the Pishon. It, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Mm. There's gold in Eden and there's gold in heaven. So there's lots of precious jewels and, all, and like the mm. tree of life is going to be in, 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 yeah. in, in heaven as well. I, yeah. I think this, this is a picture of heaven. I think this actually is heaven because it's where God's presence dwells with man in, in fullness. And it's only after the sin enters in and Adam and Eve disobey that, that they're removed from God's presence in heaven. Now, also in Revelation, it talks about a city, and so there's this development from a garden to a city where human humanity makes communities. Um, but this is definitely like what it will be like in heaven.
1: I think there is... I love the way you say that, Darren, because I think... When you think about what Jesus came to do is he came to bring and restore paradise. Mm -hmm. So this is paradise. This is the, we joked yesterday, this is the Lego box, right? It's what the Lego box looked like before it (laughs) ever got built. And then Jesus is going to come restore paradise. And you do get this imagery. So in verse 9, you say, out of the ground the Lord sprung up every tree, right? Good to look at, good to eat. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And then in Revelation 22, you get this picture that when Jesus has uh, restored everything, that you're going to have the tree of life, but it's actually now the river. There's a river of life flowing from the tree of life that flows from the throne of God. And so there's that imagery that ties in. Jesus has come back and make all things right one day, and we're going to be back in the garden.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, it's going to—again, a lot of that's imagery— like you mm. say, streets of gold, and mm. and but I think you do see a foreshadowing of heaven here, and like Darren said, where God is, that you know, God resides, God's presence resides. That's heaven, and so here you had the garden. One day we're going to have paradise restored, and it's going to be very much like the original garden.
0: One thing I found interesting in your sermon, and then reading, like say, uh, verse um, fifteen, of the second chapter, that God. Put man in the Garden of Eden as its gardener to tend and care for it. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, this is not a case where he, where you're just kind of laying in the grass and eating figs and just hanging out, chasing butterflies, <laughs> right? Or just throwing the ball up in the air to yourself. But you're working. Why is? Why do you think that's important to God that Adam? Has to work, and and we read about in heaven. We're we're not going to be just sitting on the cloud, you know, you know, uh, playing the harp. We're it's going to there's going to be work. I've always ha-
2: I've always hated that image. I I, I, is it a Far Side? I don't know what like, it is. Yeah, it's but far side but, it, but, but boy, you're, it just it, it's <laughs> everywhere though, isn't it? Right. So you're, you, we go to heaven, we get a harp. We go to hell, we get a harmonica. <laughs> like no, that's that's not how it is. Um, really, if well, it, Mississippi it, John Hurt, you it, know, he it, might argue it, with that.
0: Well, I was going to say if it's like Ireland, it'd be uh, <laughs> if it <laughs> happens like Ireland. My parents always said it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> you'll have a, you'll have the harp. But why why do you think that's important? That that there's work to be done.
1: I think God designed us to work, hmm. and I think God is communicating to the very. You know, to, to his people very early on. And, Matt, and remember, these Egyptians, came, the, these Israelites came out of Egypt where they worked 24 hours a day, mm. right, right? Not really, but you know they worked right. every day. They never got a day off. They never got a vacation. Right. And so they, they, their view of work at the time probably was pretty bad. And I think God also communicated, hey, I created mankind. I created Adam. I put him in the garden. And I gave him a job mm. showing us that we are designed to work. And, and I, I think, you know, I joked yesterday, you go on a long vacation. When you get back, you're like, I need to get back to work right. because there is something written on our hearts, right? Um, Paul says in, in Romans 1 that the God's invisible at- attributes are clearly seen. And so I think he's communicating a lot of truths to us in that. But one of those truths is that I think we are created to work. And that's why um, when you when you do find work that you can be passionate about, mm-hmm. it's it's life-giving, right? It is fulfilling. Right. Now, we've all had jobs where we didn't love those jobs, and all we could do is think about something else to do. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, we weren't thinking about sitting around playing video games. I mean, some of us might have been, but most of <laughs> us were thinking about actually right. another job. So I think that comes from this deep ingrained desire to work. You know, Paul says, you know, basically, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Like, work, provide your, your, your um, you know, your, your value to the world through your work. And I think, the flourishing picture we get from the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 is that the human you know humanity communities neighborhoods the world advances when we all work together mm-hmm. and we all have to carry our load mm-hmm. and i think there is a beautiful truth in that now has it been damaged and distorted and broken because of sin it for sure has but in its perfect form when we're all doing something we can be passionate about humanity flourishes and and you see that glimpses of that throughout history
0: it, but also it's work that has to do with sustaining yourself it's not you know uh, it's not going into an office cubicle and and it this is this work is you're you're tending a garden you're you're making food for yourself you're taking care of things that god created it's a different kind of work
2: yeah i i had a friend once uh i grew up on a farm and i had a friend once who was like darren i really envy you for growing up on a farm. There's something about working with the dirt, Mm -hmm. like with your hands. Well, we actually don't till the soil with our hands anymore. But anyway, um, yeah, there's something unique about, you know, being a farmer, being a gardener and doing that. However, um, there is something else that I want to pull out of this. The words used for tending and and working here, um, uh, working and keeping in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That's the NIV. The Hebrew behind the word work is Eved, and the work uh, or the, the word behind um, take care of it is Shamar, um, to work and keep, or work and guard. Those words are, are used v- variously in other places, but it's also used when God is, is describing what the Levites and the priests are supposed to do as they work and keep the temple and as they work and keep the tabernacle. It's It's priestly language where Adam here is, is put in this place to to work and to protect and, and to serve and to do a lot of these the eved the, I think I misquoted Avod Avad is the verb to work and eved is a noun for servant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the idea here is that that the Lord God put put the man in the garden to to serve him to work for God, to, to continue what God is doing uh, for those other things. And so there's also narratives and stories that will look back to this story where someone's working and keeping, like, well, that, that's an Eden idea. That's what the mankind's original purpose was.
1: And I think when Paul is, is writing in Colossians 3.23 about when you work, do it for God, it's this idea of calling, and it goes all the way back to the garden. Mm-hmm. God has given this calling on our life to, to work for him. That could be as a priest. That could be as a carpenter. It could be as a salesman, what, whatever. But this idea of work heartily for the Lord and not for men. And so very early on, you see Adam, this call on his life to work, to tend, and to keep it. Because remember, day six, God has given mankind dominion. Keep it well. Tend it well. Care for it well. And that's a, that's a huge calling on our lives, no matter what job we have.
2: So we've seen so far that we're we're supposed to be kings. We're supposed to rule. That's what the image of God is about. And now we're seeing we're supposed to be priests. We're supposed to work and and keep and serve our our little area. And um, Jesus came to be the perfect king, priest, and prophet those three roles were separated out in, in the, the role of Israel because there was a king, there was a, a group of priests, and then there was a, a separate group of prophets. But Jesus mm. brought all those roles together mm. um, and we see these roles are being played out early on in humanity. Uh, so it, it's really interesting to see those roles. I'm not sure like where the, the prophet comes in. I think, isn't Moses one of the first mm. big prophets? There's yeah. something else in, I'm, I bet in Genesis I don't know about. But those three roles that Jesus perfectly fulfilled are are Visible here in the garden,
1: and then as his as his followers or as his witnesses that we see in Matthew twenty-eight and Acts one, you see Peter capture this in First Peter two. My favorite verses, verse nine: "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, yeah, and so a people that are of God's possession, who are going to proclaim His excellencies, um, because He called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. And so, as God's people, we regain the identity of." people a nation a priesthood and so being a priest doesn't mean they have to walk around with crazy robes and and you know cool yeah. ephods and all these things it's it's a servant of god mm. right and so we are god's people his servants so it comes full circle jesus mm. comes and 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 i encapsulates all that for us and then that becomes our responsibility as his followers
0: i love how also god has given us still to this day a taste of what paradise must have been like in that garden. I Even mean, if anybody, if you've been to Hawaii mm. and, and why, I think it's a reason why people will take vacations to Caribbean, uh, Fiji islands, Hawaii. I think there's something inside us that has that desire. It's the ultimate vacation, isn't it? It's the That's ultimate a, feeling of, Oh, this is paradise. Yeah. I, I know I have felt that way in Hawaii that you just go, you just get this touch of what Eden must have right. been like. Yeah, I think there's, there's this desire yeah, to feel that again.
2: Yeah, desire. Exactly. There, there's this desire for beauty. Um, mm-hmm. In our next steps group yesterday, uh, one of Drew's icebreaker questions was, "What's your, your the most beautiful place you've ever been to?" Yeah. Most people said it was Colorado. I know, it was like great. hiking in. Col- and that's yeah. one reason that, that a lot of people are, are yeah. coming here.
1: Yeah, you know, in Ecclesiastes. Well, John they haven't Detroit. been to Hawaii apparently, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> right. or Bora Bora. <laughs> Ecclesiastes. I have been there. Or either. downtown Detroit. Yeah. Right. Right. Mean, <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3 says that uh, eternity is written on man's heart and so I, I think in many ways we've got a picture of paradise is written on our heart of what we mm-hmm. were created to live in and what the world was created to be like mm-hmm. and so because of that we groan for it and we know there's this deep-seated mm-hmm. desire inside of us for right. something better and something more beautiful mm-hmm. and it starts I believe right here in, in the garden in Eden right? Mm-hmm. that's going to point us forward to why Jesus needed to come back and restore everything back to paradise. So we're just teasing out the very beginning of the story, but God packs so much into this these, you know, few verses in chapter 2 um, that we could spend, you know, a month unpacking it.
0: Fascinating. Well, we, we've run out of time, but I just want to preview for next week. Um, now we get into Eve. It comes, uh, we do. It comes into, yeah. into the world and, and what happens with, with, with the tree. And, and then then everything starts to take a turn and when sin gets introduced. So I know that next week you'll be talking about eve uh, uh, yeah. coming in so we'll, we'll look forward it's to that sermon next i'm Sunday. sure adam's going finally <laughs> for finally. <laughs> <laughs> a variety of reasons <laughs> right <laughs> exactly all right well thanks guys for this has been great I, I just it thanks for for enlightening us on on what eden must have been like and and I can under- you understand why people are still trying to find it. That mm-hmm. It's got to be out there. Well, somewhere. we said
1: yesterday Eden means delight, right? Yeah. So, so go find your Eden this week. That's, yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely, that's a great idea. All right, for Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren, I'm Mike Caines. Thanks for listening to this edition of More to the Story. You have been listening to More to the Story a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the story.